Everyone there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I, it seems like everybody's in. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, cool, cool. My fault. There we go. So um, first and foremost, Adam Martin, let's go ahead and let everybody know oh. who you are, sir. Give yourself a quick introduction. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm Adam Martin, as Raphael just said, a uh, longtime MMA writer. You can find my writing at MMA Ratings and FightOdds.io. Uh, looking forward to this podcast. I haven't done a podcast in a while, so looking forward to talking about th this year in MMA. Yeah, man, we got quite a bit to talk about, man. You've been on the show for quite some time, and I appreciate having you here. Um, Michael Ford, go next, sir. Uh, um, yeah, I'm Michael Ford. I uh, help to run the site. I, uh, I'm i going to try to get into some more podcasting in the coming year. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a lapsed fan in, in a certain way, but kind of a hardcore fan in another kind of way. So, uh it's going to be interesting to think about the ebbs and the flows of how 2017 has treated me as a fan. That'll be um, a, a pretty interesting conversation, Eric. I feel like everybody's in that point. Um, we can talk about that a little more. And, of course, as always, we have uh, Shawan Humes with us here to um, do more what, of what he does best, uh, talking, talking, and talking. So, Shawan, let everybody know who you are, man. Uh, yeah, I'm Shawan Humes. Uh, you see me on Twitter, at BlackJordanBreen. I write for MMA ratings as the first guys gave me a shot at writing and I've actually picked up a couple other sites. I work for, write for combat press and I write for severe MMA during my downtime. I'm uh, consulting fighters and the rest of the time I'm watching film and coaching basketball. <laughs> That's what I do. What are you father to like four, like four little girls, three little girls? Yeah, I got three 15 year olds, one five year old. Any future MMA fighters? Dude, I, I can't I can't pay them to watch it. Like they just they just don't want to get into it. My daughter, my other daughter, Geneva, she actually her hands are coming along pretty nicely, but she just got away from it. So I just spent all my time in between watching fights, breaking down basketball film and, and training them for basketball. Sounds good. But I, I gotta have my skill sharp for the summer ball because the parents get out of hand. You never know when you might have to throw some hands. So I gotta keep training all the time, stay in shape, keep that jab going. <laughs> He's our own, he's our own version of a uh, super dad here, man. I, I I I forgot that you had triplets. Yeah, I forgot about that, man. Oof. I'm just telling y'all before, just before we get into the MMA, if any of y'all have kids later on and they get into summer sports, whether it's soccer, basketball, baseball, be prepared for people to, for grown people to talk trash to your 10, 12, 13 year old, call them a choke artist. They might try and pick a fight with them. So I'm just letting you know in advance. When that eventually happens, you need to be prepared for confrontations. <laughs> Because it, it gets that bad during the summer. I mean, so we are basically all purpose now because we're not only talking about MMA now, but we're also giving parenting advice. I mean, you know, we might as well add that to our resume too. Oh, yeah. So let's go ahead and um, – let's... I, I can do, do a little bit of it all. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into some of the things that we got to talk about because 2017 was a very interesting year from top to bottom. I mean, almost every week it felt like something um, – Something out of the ordinary was going on. This was the first full year of the UFC being owned by WME, or whatever their name is now, because they've, they've just changed it. So that'll, that'll definitely be a narrative behind a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about. So first and foremost, man, like when we look at back at 2017, let's, what was our biggest news story of 2017? Um, Adam, let's go ahead and start with you. What did you think was the biggest news story from start to finish throughout this year? 
Okay, well, I'm curious to see what you guys uh, chose, but I chose uh, Conor McGregor crossing over to boxing. Yep, co-promotion. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this just dominated the the year. You know, I feel like it was a down year for MMA in general. Like there really wasn't that many like quote unquote big fights. Um, and like, uh, I mean, you could look at the John Jones fight with Danny Testaposa, right? I'll talk about that later. But that was probably the biggest fight. I guess I, think, I guess the GSP return. Other than that, there really wasn't much, and that's I think mainly because Connor went to boxing, and and his big fight this year was over there against Floyd. I mean, no, but you make a good point about Jones, though. I mean, if we if we forget about that, I mean, Jones came back, he triumphed over yep. over uh, Cormier, became this huge thing, and but then immediately yep. went away. Yeah, and now he's probably gone for good. It's crazy, right? It, it, that's the th- like I'll talk about that later. We talk about disappointments, but yeah, that's that's unbelievable that happened. But I mean, other like I mean, people are talking about that, and people are like, "Oh, John Jones is back; he's the goat." And then all of a sudden, it went away, and then people were talking about Conor again, even though we never fought in MMA. So uh, I want to hear what you guys have to say. But yeah, I think the boxing match, man, honestly. Yeah, I yeah. I have to agree. Go ahead from there, Sean. Go ahead from there. I I'd have to agree. There, it was the biggest story. I mean, there wasn't anything else in mixed martial arts. They came close to it, not generating the interest or generating the money. I mean, the biggest story, MMA story, was the biggest star in MMA got his biggest paycheck from being in a boxing match. That's that's the biggest story of mixed martial arts. That's where you started having fighters and fans talk about like what's really going on with this. Like every other discussion we had about money, about about taking care of the fighters, a lot of that stems from seeing how well Connor did and how much money and how much fame he got from fighting in boxing instead of mixed martial arts. Like the majority of people who know him know him more as the guy who fought Mayweather than they know him as a UFC champion. So that kind of fostered all the other conversations that are related to the business side of mixed martial arts this year. And if you really think about it, it's a pretty much a repudiation of the whole logic on, you know, the house of cards that the US, UFC was built around, which is that they run their business better than boxing. They give fans the fights they want to see. They're the real sport. Boxing is a sideshow. All of that came crashing down this past year. So what about you, yeah, Mike? That was never true. That was never true. What would be the big, the big news story that you, you, you would pick out? Oh, I mean, I, I mean, it ties to that. I was just saying co-promotion. It was the idea, not just of the UFC going outside of itself and recognizing that in order to make the biggest possible fight, it had to extend past itself, but also it had to extend into boxing. You know, that there wasn't a fight in MMA that could be bigger than Mayweather versus McGregor in boxing. I think that even if they had somehow been able to make that fight happen in the octagon, it would have paled in comparison to how big it was in a boxing ring. You know, there was just there's too much history behind it. There's too much, you know, meta sports narrative behind an MMA fighter versus a boxer in boxing, you know, let alone all of the uh, racial stuff and the cultural stuff. I mean, it was just for, for a couple months there, it controlled Every, you know, not just the combat sports narrative, but the, it had the whole sporting world, you know, paying attention. And the, the UFC, nothing it did, you know, even measured up, even came close to measuring up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. And you'd be hard pressed to find anyone across the industry that would say that this wasn't the biggest story of the year. I'm going to kind of <clears throat> segue to a different spot because I, I think that the biggest story, and just from my perception of it, it's kind of like a 
culmination type story too is that the fighter pushback on UFC as a whole is was a huge story because we saw it in so many different ways this year and I think that from so many different people and I think that that's going to be the continued narrative going into 2018 especially with the television deal coming up mm -hmm. because fighters are just sitting back and waiting to see just how much the UFC gets at the end of the day how much does the UFC get because they, they're, they're going to want their portion so well, I think what is starting in 2017 I think that the, that just the, the fighter pushback is, is a story I'm going with from, from the year. Well, I mean, I think that's an important story. And I think there are actually sort of two ends of the pull in that story. The first part was what happened last year with the UFC getting sold for $4 billion. You know, that valuation had to be based on something and had to be based on, on a lot of factors, most being that the fighters were being woefully underpaid. So the, the new management, came in with a set of assumptions, one being that they would make a certain level of profit and that profit was tied to cost being so low. Um, but what that means for fighters is they saw in black and white how badly they were being taken for a ride. But then this year you have a fighter take his career on, you know, on himself upon himself he didn't really need the ufc the ufc needed him you know conor mcgregor took over the ufc and in doing so showed fighters that they've been doing it all wrong the whole time and i don't think that the ramifications of that are you know have have even begun to be felt yeah i'm definitely wondering about hello go ahead yeah yeah, yeah it's like well the thing of I thought I thought Connor echoed Floyd when Floyd was in boxing. Same thing when Oscar De La Hoya or Canelo. People were like, "Boxing's doing really great." You have a key amount of superstars who raise who raise the money, who raise the interest, who raise the paydays for people. Uh, in in Floyd's case, everybody who fought him, Shane Mosley, Andre Berto, Canelo, they they all got career high paydays. And Conor McGregor's version he had the red panty night you know he eddie alvarez got a big payday nate diaz got turned into a millionaire because of conor mcgregor people kept mistaking the fact that you have these transcendent stars for actually the sport being healthier than it is and the worst thing about it was the fighters started thinking oh i have this actual value and the same thing happened in boxing a guy would get beat by mayweather and maybe they made seven million to fight mayweather now they want seven million dollars to fight you're not fighting floyd anymore no one cares about you outside of this person's sphere of interest. And even though Connor set a good precedent for what to do, the fact of the matter is if any of these guys were really following his lead, they'd be establishing their own brand to their full ability. They'd be doing as many interviews as they could and they wouldn't be mentioning his name. They give him the power. They know that they don't want to do all the interviews. They don't want to touch all the hands. They don't want to be on every podcast. They don't want to be in front of every camera. So they try to shortcut it by, Connor's a punk. He's afraid of me. He's ducking me. Nate Diaz, don't be scared, homie. All these catchphrases trying to generate interest that they can't generate in and of themselves. And by doing that, they give more power to the guy who already has power. Nate Diaz has a ton of power because guys keep on saying Nate's ducking me. Connor McGregor has even more power because he hasn't fought in like a year and guys are still holding up their entire careers to get a shot at him. Guys got title fights coming out and they're talking about rematches with Connor McGregor. You have a title fight coming up, man. Don't worry about what Connor's doing. He ain't worried about you. I still say a lot of these guys, when it comes down to it, 
They see what he did, but they don't want it like he did. They're lazy. And it's like Ronda Rousey said, everybody wants my fame. Everyone wants my title. Nobody wants the media obligations. Nobody wants to fly all over the country. Conor McGregor said the same thing. Floyd Mayweather said the same thing. And they're right. And and I remember I heard an interview by Dominic Cruz, and he said, a guy like Uriah Faber shortchanged his career so that he could have a presence in mixed martial arts. He could have a brand. So many of these guys... They're not willing to either shortchange or maximize their career by going by establishing that brand. They just try to, well, I want to fight him. I want the money fight. Become the money fight. Draw interest in yourself somehow. But everybody keeps on complaining. They're not treating me fairly. You don't have a fan base, man. Nobody wants to see you fight. They might want to see you fight Connor, but they don't want to see you. They'll fight. They'll take anybody fighting Connor, just like they'll take anybody fighting Floyd. And these guys don't understand that. And I understand where they feel frustrated and they feel they're being looked over. But none of them are taking their own careers into their hands and setting themselves up to be the money fight, to be the star, or at least be as big a star as they can. They keep trying to take shortcuts. I want Connor. I want Hoover is ahead of me. That's not how you become a star. That's not how Connor became a star. That's not how Ronda became a star. That's not how anybody who's a star became a star. They got their own movement. They didn't just go for the biggest gun. They had their movement going before, before they called out a name. All these people just want to take shortcuts, and that's why they're not getting the money they want. It's why not to get the opportunities they want. Did you guys haven't established themselves. Did you guys see that interview with Dana and Brian Okamoto at ESPN? Man, it's- I saw it, and I'm and I'm doing my best to not comment on that. Like I was totally confused. Like I was when I read it, I was thinking I was like, well, maybe he's upset because Connor hasn't defended a title in a year. And then yeah. I reread it, and I'm like, no, he's claiming that Connor has defended a title <laughs> in, the, in the last year. I was totally, totally flabbergasted. Did he use the phrase fake news at any point? Because that's what I'm waiting on. You know, he called out the haters, like the haters calling for the UFC to strip uh, their golden boy. Listen, he doesn't deserve to hold the title anymore. They have to strip him. It's been like 13 months since he won it. There's no intention. Apparently, Dana said he's, they're trying to get him to fight next summer. That's another six months from now. Like, it's just not right, man. Like, look what GSP did. He he didn't. He had no intention of defending the title, so he dropped it off. Let the other guys fight for it. Like, if you're a fighter coming up and you're working your whole career to win the belt, like, and there's no belt to win, I mean, it's just like, what are you doing with your life? It's just not, it's not right, man. Like, I understand he's their guy, but to me, he's never going to defend that belt. Like, I don't see ever see him fighting Ferguson or Habib. Those guys would both beat him, I think, too. He's better off fighting GSP in a super fight, or bit. I, I, you know what? I get you guys' point, but I guarantee you, whoever wins the legitimate title, what's the first thing out of their mouth? Connor, why are you scared? Yeah. They they keep dragging him into it. They make him the focus, and they just stop talking about him and got on their job and fought and won. Maybe people well, will forget about him. But Shawan, it's kind of a legitimate title. They're gonna call him out. But Shawan, it's kind of a catch twenty two. I mean, you know, we're all pro wrestling fans here. Like he's basically holding the million dollar belt, you know, regardless of whether he's right, holding right, the right. real. Can you, like, I don't know if, you're, if your mic is close to you, but can you um, pull it away a little bit because you're kind of breaking up? Sure. Can you hear me better? Maybe unplug your mic and plug it back in. Uh, all right. That, that might be a little difficult. but Okay, because you're kind of you're, you're crackling up a little bit. Okay. Um, give me a second. Yeah, but anyway, just getting back to what you are saying, Raphael, like, how ridiculous! I mean, Dana said some stupid things in the past, but like to, to claim that Connor's defended his title is absolutely ridiculous. Like, what a stupid thing to say! The guy thinks was, we're all morons. He thinks all MMA fans are idiots. You know, there are a lot of dumb fans, but come on, man, come on. 
Like, yeah, it was um, it was definitely disheartening. Like I said, when I read that statement, I was literally thinking, I'm like, maybe he is not saying what I thought he said. But I'm, it, it was it was pretty bad. I'm not even gonna disagree with you at all. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. But uh, anyways, yeah, you know what? It's crazy though. You asked like what the biggest moment was and biggest storyline MMA was, and we talked about boxing matches. It just shows like how much bigger this guy is than the story, you know. Yeah, and I think that he in that in that size growth, you know, how much how much more important is he than the sport is going to be a narrative that we see continue through to next year as well. Yep. Um, so let's move on to our next topic there. Let's talk about what the most exciting moment was from this year. Now we have a um, we have a lot of different uh, types of examples that we can point out, but think about the when you think of MMA in 2017. What was the, what's the first image that pops into your mind, Mike? If you're back, you can definitely start off first. Uh, yeah, can you hear me better? Yep, yes. much better, much better. Yeah, much better. Um, for me, it's just going to be GSP coming back and beating yeah. Bisping. Um, you know, that was. I know it was. It's kind of a a cop out because it was so recent, but to I, it was definitely the most excited that I was um, between between those two, that moment and uh, John Jones you know, doing what he did to um, Daniel Cormier before getting that wipe off the map. But as far as my excitement as a longtime fan and feeling rewarded, you know, GSP coming back and beating Bisping is, is up there for me. What about you, Schwan? Um, The most exciting moment this year? Uh, man, um... All right, we'll come back to you, Adam. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I had I had the same as you, Michael, with GSP and Bisping, but my runner-up was actually uh, Francis Angano knocking out Overeem with that oh, vicious oh. uppercut. Like, that was maybe the, the most impressive, like, punch I've ever seen in, like, MMA ever. It was absolutely insane. Like, that guy just became, like, a superstar. Like, you look at him. Like, I don't know if he's going to beat Stipe because that's actually a really tough fight. Stipe's such a good fighter. But... You just, I just look at Ngannou and I think of, like, just – he looks like a champion of the world, man. Like, the guy is such a monster. In that moment, like, I remember just jumping out of my chair, basically. Everyone was just, like, in absolute shock. Like, what this guy did to Overeem. The other, you know, Overeem's actually a really good fighter. Other guys that went in there with him, like, he fought Verdum a few months ago. Verdum's a great fighter. Couldn't beat him. Couldn't touch him. And first punch this guy lands, absolutely, like, just kills the guy. So uh, Yeah, that, it definitely was the scariest moment of the year. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's absolutely good. So I'm glad Overeem's okay, but yeah. And Gondu, I'm looking forward to that title fight. It's going to be a really exciting fight. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to yeah. that fight as well. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I would have to say it would have been um, – and we had we had her coach on our show, and being that I cover a lot of women's martial arts, it would have been Rose Namajunas's win over a Joanna nice. Strawway title uh -huh. um, because a lot of people didn't see that coming. And a lot of – you know, I had talked about a lot about that Rose had a good chance because she could do either or. She could be really dynamic or she could do fundamentals. And a, a, the biggest thing that was excited to me is because Joanna had become pretty much the most dominant champion in the UFC outside of Demetrius Johnson. She had defended her belt multiple times, and she had dominated, like, every number one contender. And even when she fought on Drudge, um, that was supposed to be one of her toughest fights, and it was easy work for her. Like, she had beaten – she had almost cleaned out the division. She was so dominant. And Rose wasn't given much of a chance – to beat her and then rose came out and not just beating her but the way she beat her she didn't finish her on the ground she 
finisher with strikes. You know, nobody would have seen, nobody really saw that coming. Nobody would have ha- had any hint that Joanna, that Joanna wouldn't be able to light her up on the feet. And to me, that was one of the most exciting standout moments because it, it was just a, it was just a fight that predicted to go in that way. Talking to Trevor Whitman, you could see he always believed that and he really believed that sort of thing. But I don't think anybody would have really thought that Rose had a fair shot against um, Joanna, especially after the way she lost to Carolina. And then Carolina got beat up for five rounds by Joanna. So, like, those are definitely some um, some good examples there. I actually, mine was from that same card where Rose got the title fight, or excuse me, when Rose won the title. And it was um, uh, TJ Dillashaw knocking out Cody Garbrandt. And just, like, the, the, the seconds after the knockout occurred when he jumps up and he yells in Cody's face and the ref has to kind of break him apart. That whole sequence right there, like that, to see him get that win and especially coming back at the way he was knocked down by the same punch that he was knocked down in that, in that training video from all of that culminating into like that moment of him just letting out all of that frustration. That's kind of the moment that pops into my mind first, just because that was an epic picture first and foremost, but like that whole moment is like something that I really took away from this year. Yeah, so, the one thing I liked about that was how real the intent, because usually, you know, they build up these fights in a knockout and then it's all good. And in the post post fight conference, it wasn't all good. Right after the fight, it wasn't all good. Three months later, it wasn't all good. They were respectful, but they don't like each other and they'll fight and they just, they just don't have any like a real respect for each other past a certain point. And I kind of like that because I hate when they build it up. These people really don't like each other. And then 30 yeah. seconds later, they're hugging. And, yeah, you know, we're just trying to sell a fight. I like the fact that it was that authentic and it was that deep. The yeah, only mistake was... they made, the only mistake they made is they didn't play Taylor Swift's Bad Blood on the walkout for the commercial. <laughs> oh, fits perfectly. Listen to the lyrics. It fits perfectly. We used to have mad love. Now we got bad blood. How do you miss that? <laughs> I don't, don't want to pay that ass cap. We'll see a rematch eventually in our fight too. I think, like, not. I don't. I don't think it should happen next, but uh, maybe in a year or so. Like, I hope that TJ fights Demetrius Johnson next. I really want to see that fight. You know, we'll see yeah, what Cody ha- doesn't work on work on using his jab consistently and yeah. consistently. It ain't ever gonna happen. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think TJ a lot more time. Yeah, Cody, his first fight as an amateur got KO'd. And I remember seeing that a while ago. It was just like, wow, gotta work on that. But. Uh, Anyways, what's, what's the next one, uh, Ray? Yeah, man. So the next one we have is uh, Most Disappointing. And I'm going to go ahead and start because I haven't started one this year. But uh, 2017, the most disappointing moment, I guess, is a series of moments that have occurred this year. But to me, it's um, I'm not going to go with the with the staple of, you know, John Jones failing a drug test or anything like that. I'm going to go with the, the, the propensity of UFC fighters dropping the, um, F, the F-bomb, the, the gay slur version yeah. of it. And it's almost like it's second nature to to drop that word as a way to disparage your opponent or, or disparage someone that you have a disliking for. I mean, we've we've seen Conor McGregor do it twice. Yep. We've seen Cody Garbrandt do it. We saw um, Fabrica Werdum do it. Jorge Masvidal. I mean, like the list goes down and down, down and down the list. And it's not the women, but it's the men that have this issue. And the UFC has yet to come out and say something about it or, or necessarily punish someone in a in a substantial way. If you remember what they did to um, Miguel Torres over his rape van joke all those years yeah. ago, 
They yep. fired him the next day, but they're allowing guys to continuously disrespect a market that, I mean, that spends money and that will be willing to spend money within um, the marketplace. I mean, Dana White pushed for Dakota Cochran to get onto the the into the tough house just because he wanted to build that story up about um, Cochran doing gay porn years ago. So like they are like like it's it's unfortunate the way they have not addressed this sentiment of hatred or just this 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 usage of of this term so relevant within the sport. It has they they've been mum on the word and that's unfortunate. That's that's very disappointing to me. So I so I'm, I guess I'm going to play devil's advocate. Not not a major you know, not a major high stance of devil's advocacy, but I'm going to say that where the UFC is situated right now within the culture and particularly with within what what made it popular is this notion that these fighters um, are edgy, you know, that these fighters don't play by the same kind of corporate rules um, and what you're, what you've seen in the culture of the last year or so, particularly you know in the presidential campaign and what has followed, is a lot of people railing against this this change, this progressive change in the culture. And part of that progressive change is in things like having your your speech uh, restricted, you know. And I think what's what we're seeing, you know, we we've we've known for a while now that that fighters have been a little bit more conservative than the fans that follow them. And there's a little bit, there's always in, in fighting, there's a bit of a masculinity posturing pushback that happens. And I think what we're seeing is fighters not having the language, the, the linguistic skill set to articulate that sentiment without crossing into, into territory that, has you know it in their minds i would say rapidly become dangerous to them and you know i think there's a segment of the fan base a large segment of the fan base that that likes that these fighters are 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 being um inflammatory you know i i think there is a segment of the fan base that would want the fighters to be more inflammatory and, um. you know, i think I'm gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with you there at all. Like I, I definitely don't disagree with you about the fan base being acceptable, or, or excuse me, or being accepting of such action. I'm not gonna disagree with you about that at all. However, if we, if if we sent on the cover of GQ magazine, mm -hmm. if somebody played Conor McGregor's rampant use of faggot to GQ and the individuals mm -hmm. who are in charge there, I doubt he would. He would have been on the cover of uh GQ magazine. So this I guess the conversation isn't really for the people who are going to watch the sport. It's for the advertisers who are willing to give the UFC their money to to be able to position themselves within the growing promotion. Because but I, but advertisers when they see that, they're not gonna want to have anything to do with them. Right. But I think that's part of the balancing act. Because I think that if you're a fighter, going back to what Shawan was talking about a few minutes ago, if you want to angle your way into a big payday against Conor McGregor and you believed that calling him the F word would get him that fight faster. I think there are a lot of fighters that would be willing to compromise their integrity, you know, from a pure um, business. I want to make money and I'll clean it up after the fact perspective. You know, I think that that's right. I think that's part of the performance of it. I think that's look it's, at Kobe Covington. 
Yeah. He, he called all the Brazilians a bunch of animals. He doesn't really believe that. That's not what he really thinks. But he's going to say it because it's going to get a response. It yeah, it's, like, it's almost the like the chaos sonification of the sport. You know, you you do what you you say what you need to say in order to get the airplay. And, you know, if it means that you've generated controversy, if it means that you've crossed lines of propriety, you know, it's these these fighters are willing to are willing to cross the lines, especially because it's not like the UFC has ever been consistent with any kind of code of conduct. It's not like they've ever had a system where if you say one word, you're automatically going to be taken off a card or automatically going to be suspended. I mean, even even, you know, the the issue with with Miguel Torres, I don't think it was in media. I think it was after there was some, um, you know, some some pushback. I mean, they, they've signed guys who were currently had courts or had domestic abuse, uh, assaults. Yeah. They had rampage when he went crazy and drew. I mean, some of the stuff they allow guys to fight in their organization with. Yeah, remember Tiago? Remember Tiago Silva? <laughs> yeah. The shoot off. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. I mean, you know, and you got it. So go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm saying I think you had Dana White even defending him in that instance. <laughs> you know, I mean, so because of this lack of corporate culture, you've got a, almost a, a free-for-all attitude with the fighters where, where, you, where they figure anything goes in terms of selling a fight. And I'm not sure how you reconcile that with the idea that they're professionals and they have to be held to the same standard that people in the big four sports are held to. Then no, I think that it's a neat, it's a neat, it's a neat sport, and this isn't just MMA. Floyd Mayweather said some derogatory things about Asians. He's made comments towards. I think he's said certain comments. As, and he has he has gay friends, but he's made comments too. He's he said all sorts of things. Is this what you do to create interest to cross the line? Because some people believe any attention is good attention, and with the UFC being a niche sport, they need whatever they can to stand out. If this was like a real big sport, half the stuff that these guys have done would be all over sports centers and begin to get guys fired and suspended, but they only get suspended and fired for the most egregious things, you right. know, getting PEDs, running And of course the flip side of that, all that kind of stuff. And of course the flip side of that is that in other, in the big four sports, they don't need to be saying that kind of stuff in order to get the publicity. They they get it automatically. Right. LeBron James, anything LeBron James says is big time news. So why does LeBron James have to go way over the line in order to get coverage? He doesn't. Okay. All right. I'm definitely not going to disagree with you guys there. I just think that it shows that the immaturity, I guess, that still surrounds uh, MMA at this point in time. And I guess maybe we're looking at a situation where this is just something, this is just another hurdle that the sport is kind of dealing with if it's ever going to reach that um, mainstream uh, level. So keeping on with this uh, category here, um, Adam, what do you have as your most disappointing moment of 2017? Yeah, just what you said at the beginning, I'm going to go with the drug test failures. So we had John Jones, obviously, just right after knocking out Cormier, basically, highlight reel knockout, one of the greatest knockouts probably ever, and then test positives a second time. So that was very disappointing. And Anderson Silva as well, another guy who tested positive. And, and the one that really shocked, kind of shocked me, to be honest, Junior DeSantos. Just, I, I never really thought about him like that way. I mean, I know it, the thing is, like, I think a lot of us were naive for all these years, thinking that our, our favorite fighters weren't juicing, but... I think you saw his death expose a lot of guys, and a lot of these guys were taking, you know, PDs the whole time or whatnot. 
Um, but it still comes as a disappointment to you every time I hear about it, man. Especially when it, for fighters I respect, like Jones and Silva, JDS, guys I who I consider like some of the greatest fighters of all time. When you hear them fail their drug tests, you know it's it's very it's very sad. And and you know it's it's even worse that none of these guys will accept responsibility for it. It takes a very rare person to accept responsibility. I think like Brian Ortega a few years ago, he tested positive and he came out and said, you know, I was I, I took something I shouldn't have. I was trying to gain advantage, you know, I'm going to serve my suspension. Like, obviously it's not good that he took it, but at least he's like, you know, not lying about it. Like, I don't believe Jones at all. I don't believe him at all when he says, you know, he was taking like sex pills or whatever, or whatever he was taking, Anderson Silva. But again, it's just, it's always uh, a disappointment when I hear about it, man. It really is. I mean, Adam, to that end, I mean, I agree with you. And I think that there has been a lot of damage done to the sport by its top stars testing positive in such you know rapid succession how long do you think it will take if ever you know to kind of restore a certain amount of um credibility or maybe not credibility but but respect from mainstream fans um you know to this compared to this idea that you're just watching a sport that's filled with rampant juicers I don't know, man, because guys have been taking stuff for forever. I mean, I've been a fan for years, and I remember when I was younger, you know, I watched Pride. Like, these guys were juiced out of their minds, and I didn't even realize it at the time, right? But now you realize, especially when you saw all these random, random tests, you realize what these guys were doing. But I think, in general, PEDs are a problem. But, again, you look at a sport like baseball, I mean, PEDs was a major storyline in the in the 1990s and the 2000s, um, and it took – took some years for baseball to get over. I think they're finally starting to get over, but still people have that, uh, you know, asterisk placed against the sport a little bit, black, black mark. And I think this is the same with UFC. So we'll see, man. But uh, it's never good when you, when the best guys test positive, like I'll be honest, like after that GSP Bisping fight, I was just, I was just waiting to hear the news that GSP failed to start a test. Like, you know, you, you never know at this point, man. Everyone's, everyone's a suspect. Yeah, and that's not, I mean, that's not how you build stars. That's not how you maintain stars. If even after, you know, one of the most exciting moments of the year, you're holding your breath, you know, and, and praying to whatever gods you believe in that, that the fight doesn't get marred by, by a positive test. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're all definitely right there on that. So, um, who haven't, uh, Mike, what has been your most disappointing moment from 2017? I mean, you know, we've we've just we've touched touch upon it. To me, it's got to be Jones. It's got to be Jones because you had we were already dealing with what we were dealing with 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 Conor McGregor. Um, Jones, you know, turned Daniel Cormier into a meme, and then he calls out um, Brock Lesnar, and everyone's you know everyone's uh, collective juices started flowing for the possibility of, of this massive fight that would maybe reinvigorate the sport in the second half of the year and then it's all down the drain it's completely down the drain the best fighter of all time is probably a cheater the best fighter of all time is probably never going to fight in the ufc again and it's just such a deflating moment that it cast a pall over the rest of the year i think it's sad man and anderson so too i mean he's looking at what four years himself right like the two greatest fighters arguably ever you know, and, and they both they're both out and you look back at their careers now and you have to look at it and wonder you know were these guys taking you know substances they should have been taking the whole time is that how they became so good 
it's sad, man. I don't want to look at the sport like that. Like, like I, I don't anymore, but I, in my old, in my old place, I used to have posters of these guys on my wall, man. And I, I looked up to these fighters so much, man, especially when I first started covering the sport. And I still look up to the fighters because I respect what they do. It's such a hard living to make, but man, it's, it's so, it's so sick thinking that these guys are, are getting by like, uh, chemically enhanced it's 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 terrible especially considering how much damage you could do like i mean that kick from from jones i mean that's just a brutal brutal kick uh, this sport is not forgiving man people get hurt and guys are are it's not you're not hitting a ball out of the park like you're you're hitting someone in the head and it's the amount of damage you can do and then you get caught it's just it's crazy yeah i mean you look at a sport like professional football which you know is it it's dealing with its own issues yeah. and but one of the issues that even football's dealing with is this whole, you know, black cloud of traumatic brain injury and what the long-term effects of playing football are going to be. You know, it's, it's like a ticking time bomb that's waiting to explode. And in, in combat sports and MMA particular, it's right in your face. So even at a time where you have a fan base that's being kind of retrained to try to learn to appreciate the athleticism of the sport while um, recoiling a little bit at how, you know, the cost of this violence. You have a sport like MMA that is, you know, violence and art, but it's hard to, it's hard to, to tell yourself and it's hard to tell new people who are kind of dipping their toe into the sport that it's, that it's something that's worth following when, you know, you have PEDs that, feed into their perceptions of how dangerous the sport, you know, is on its on its face, but then even more dangerous. I mean, think about something like we talked about Francis Ngannou and how that was one of the scariest moments of the year. For, you know, a, a non-interested party might say, well, how much of that had to do with PEDs. I mean, he had he didn't test positive. That's great. But what if he tests positive a year from now? What if he test positive two years from now? You know, all of our moments kind of get um, tainted. Yep. What about you, Schwan? How do you feel about 2017? And what was your most disappointing moment? Uh, the most disappointing thing to me was how long it took for the fighters to realize they're not doing a hobby. This isn't like something they do for free and actually realize this is a business and they needed to treat it as such. Um, Routinely over the year, I've seen guys take short notice fights with guys who miss weight or guys, you know, or meet to these ridiculous catch weights. And you've seen guys who had momentum or guys who had rankings tumble down the rankings or lose all their momentum all because they took a fight they shouldn't have taken. Their management allowed them to take it or... um, you know, or maybe they maybe they thought they were doing the UFC a favor. And and the biggest thing for me that's disappointing is the UFC has been getting the U, UFC always said they're different than boxing. We give you the fights we want. Our guys fight because they love it. Blah blah blah. That was never true. It was always a business the UFC, but they sold it as a lifestyle and a thing about honor and a thing about competition. And they got over for years on all the fighters by making them, hey, what are you scared? What you don't want to fight the best? And the guys would turn down bigger contracts from other organizations or they would take fights they shouldn't take, or they would take fights at weights they shouldn't take them just so they could see those letters UFC on their shorts or in their bio. And mm-hmm. guys' careers were ruined for it. Guys' careers were ruined. Guys' careers were set back. Guys got kicked out of the UFC all because they were trying to fit the lifestyle and the mold of being a warrior anytime, anywhere. And the and, fans and, bought into that aesthetic too. 
And they bought into it. And I and I keep telling people they're not warriors, dude. Y'all are professional athletes. And it's different than losing a step in basketball. You get knocked out. You lose a certain way. You force yourself down into a certain weight cut last minute. That that has long lasting damages. And it it's bothersome to me that it took them this long to figure out. I need to start covering my tail. I need to start. Oh, so what if I get twenty percent of his paycheck? He only makes ten thousand. So what are you really getting? That's not enough money to risk your ranking for. Nash, I want to have a yeah. question about that. Go ahead. You know, yeah. one of the one of the more disappointing thing developments that I've seen in the last year or so is fighters being hospitalized during bad weight cuts, and the response by fans being kind of like, "Screw that guy." Um, do you think there's room among fighters to agree to catch weights rather than have catch weight fights? kind of foisted upon them to the advantage or the disadvantage of one of the fighters? Well, I think I think fighters should agree with it. Even the fighters who don't like each other, you're fighting for title. The biggest obstacle to the fighters is the fighters cut their own throats whenever whenever it fits their best interest. And they keep making themselves look bad. And then they get into a situation, they're like, well, you need to understand. That's funny because when you were on the opposite side of this, you didn't understand. Coming from... Like, Amanda Nunes wanted us to understand why she couldn't fight, which was a good business decision. But I guarantee you, if Valentina Shevchenko had to pull out, she would have been like, she's a coward, she's ducking me. Like, they do it to themselves. Uh -huh. the, by attacking each other on that, in the, in the pro sports, you don't insult people's family, you don't talk about their money directly. In combat sports, all we do is insult people's families and talk about their money. We put each, they put each other in the crosshairs of the fans, and then when they, when, when they're in a bad spot, they're, they're begging for forgiveness, they're copping pleas. It's a business. You can attack them as far as their character. You can attack the quality of their fighting. You don't attack contracts. You don't talk about all this kind of stuff about not wanting to fight. They must need the money. You don't talk about that kind of stuff because it, it undercuts your movement. It undercuts the fighter's stance. And these fighters are just now starting to get that. But the UFC has been around and they've already made their money and they've sold themselves and y'all are still getting run into the ground for, for lower pay and you're still begging for bonuses because you won't back each other up and start playing it smart and make agreements within yourselves to fight a catch weights or just <laughs> down stupid fights or not taking short notice fights. You're not doing them the favor. UFC doesn't think you're doing me a favor. They think you're doing their job. Yep. They're going to get their money. And then when your career is on the downside, they're going to kick you out. When you yep. lose the fight, they're not going to say, oh, they did me a favor and they, they, they risked their ranking. They're going to say, you did what you're supposed to do. You fought and you lost. Tough. And so now your title shot's gone. Now your endorsements are gone. Now your sponsorships are gone. Like uh, a business. True. And like I said, I'm just disappointed it took them 20-something years to realize it is, is a business and start acting accordingly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next year, how this kind of <clears throat> how this narrative kind of continues. Because part, like you said, part it is mainly on the fighters with how they conduct themselves in accordance to each other. And I think that it's, it's slowly going to begin to change, I think, as, as guys start to wise up to what the UFC does with the divide and conquer type mentality. Uh, like I said, they're going to see that it's a lot of money on, on the table. And while they still don't have a union or even an association in place, I think some guys are going to are, are going to start to wisen up and figure out ways that they can work together to make more money over the long haul. <clears throat> Yeah, I'd love to see. I'd love to see MMA agents make a comeback. Um, sort of prominent agents who are spokespersons for the fighters. You know, I think that obviously I understand how fighters don't want to damage their brand by make by making certain kinds of business um, 
statements in the mainstream. It sort of undercuts how they're viewed. But if they had PR people, if they had spokespeople, you know, who could handle these kinds of things on their behalf in the media, do the interviews, say the things that make them look like the bad guys and let the fighters just kind of um, dip in and out when they need to. I think that would also be useful in terms of these fighters remembering that they are professionals and that they have you know, other professionals who could speak for them. I see that point, but I've said this before. I've said this to fighters I've worked with. I'm like, it's, it's not, I mean, the fans aren't going to care. If you take this short notice fight and you get your doors blown off, they're not going to say, oh, this and oh, that and, and, and get you paid. Look at Ricardo Lamas. He got iced. Yeah. No, no. What I'm saying is that instead of having, uh, let's you know, let's say, let's pick Ricardo Lamas. Instead of Ricardo Lamas having to face the fans when he chooses not to take a fight, he can basically pass that off to his his agent to make those statements, to face those fans, to deal with those interviews. Um, you know, if they want to call him to the carpet on Fox or on FS1, you know, he's got his spokesperson doing all the talking for him so that he can, you know, basically you know, no, keep I his... Agree. I agree with that completely, but at some point he has to make the stand on his own because they're going to lean on him. I mean, there's there's been agents who've gotten fired because they've told them to make the right decision. Right. Yeah, so, so we'll so definitely even... see how it kind of breaks down, man, because I think it's going to be an interesting year where these guys stop um, allowing themselves to get pushed around so much by the UFC as a whole. It's going to be, I, I just think it's going to be a slow change, but I think the way the involvement of Floyd in a sense, the way he has always worked together with mm -hmm. the guys that he's fighting is going to kind of change that narrative over time within the UFC. I just hope it does. So let's look at the next category, which got show of the year. And I think this, uh, and this is always a hard one to me because I have a hard time remembering an entire show from top to bottom. But um, from 2017, Adam, what was your big show of the year? What was the one that stands out to you? I got to go with UFC 217. Um, it was an amazing card. Nine finishes out of like 11 fights. That's an absolutely insane ratio of finishes. Like the first fight of the night was the crazy spinning back elbow. Then you had a couple knockouts. Um, the OSP knockout on the undercard. You had that crazy fight with Wall Harris with that legal head kick. Uh, James Vick knocking out Joseph Duffy, and then the main card, obviously, and Paulo Boratina knocking out Johnny Hendricks, Rose knocking out Joanna, TJ knocking out Cody, and then GSP knocking down Bisping and then submitting him. Like it was an absolutely insane card, and I'm not sure what you guys did, but I remember like this was a card where like a, a buddy of mine like had us all over. We had like maybe like 15 people, and we were all like drinking beer and like eating food and just watching the fights. It was awesome. It was like old times, just a really good time. I really enjoyed that card. So. I definitely have to go with UFC 17. 217, one of the best cards of all time. Yeah, that was actually the card I was going to pick as well, just because three titles changed hands, and they changed hands in like a dramatic fashion too as well. No one was expecting Rose to win, and expecting, and I wasn't expecting her to win in that fashion. TJ comes back from getting dropped in the first round to landing a hell of a head kick and then finishing off Cody Garbrandt. And what was the main event from that fight, that, that card? Um Wait. That's right. That's right. I mean, you got. I, I, how can you really even really describe that one when you have the way? I, I mean, GSP was losing that fight. Yep, he was. And he found a way to get that that choke at the end. So it was a hell of a card from top to bottom, and I'm not going to disagree at all. Mike, uh, what was your card from 2017? It's, it's the same card, man. I mean, it might be unanimous. I mean, it, it's kind of funny to think about it. 
that card, you know, Adam said it was just like old times. It was it was basically what we signed up for when we won a big card, a big Madison Square Garden card in, you know, in MMA, in the UFC. We had a stacked card with three, you know, with three title fights. We had finishes up and down the, the, the undercard. We had a star returning to the sport against a champion, you know, that basically a lot of people felt like, you know, he was ducking competition. So he got his comeuppance. You had two guys, you know, with a lot of bad blood in a grudge match. You had an upset that upended, you know, the status quo in um, the women's uh, strawweight division. You had everything that you would want out of an MMA card. And yet that was, you know, a little bit more than a month ago. And we're still as negative as we can be <laughs> about this year. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy to think about. But by all, you know, it was definitely the high point of the year. What about you, Schwan? Yeah, I have to make it unanimous. The main thing was it was finally a car where there wasn't a huge injury that threw yeah. off the main car or threw off a, a much a much anticipated fight like the Khabib Ferguson fight. It actually all the fights went through. They were all good. They were all finishes, and they were to more or less to a certain degree they were all upsets. You know, nobody saw the Rose the Rose Joanna thing. Uh, a lot of people favored. I favored Cody over. T- J, uh, I, I, I said GSP was going to be this being like four months before that happened, so that wasn't a shock to me at all. Rose wasn't a shock to me either, but just for the general masses, it, it was a big shock, and it was it was what we want. All the big stars showing up, no late notice fight, no 15th ranked guy coming in. All the stories had storylines. All the fighters were established and had histories and had backgrounds that drew in hardcores and casuals. It was the best of what mixed martial arts is supposed to be, like Adam said. It's, it's, it's what... Well, it's what Michael and Adam said. It's what we signed off for. We want important yep. fights. We want good fights, and we want storylines to have us buy in. And they had all three of those things. Yeah, I mean that that was definitely a, the. I think that that'll be the one of the cards that everybody looks back to whenever that UFC talks about going back to Madison Square Garden. I mean, all three of the MSG cards have kind of delivered so far. Um, UFC 200 was kind of not the greatest, but it was what it was. But um, we have quite a bit to, to look forward to whenever the organization goes back to Madison Square Garden. I, everyone always kind of stops to watch. So breakout performer of the year. I'm going to go last on this one because I'm going to hold my, my – I have a little bit of a um, – Contingency, contingency plan lined out for my breakout performer of the year. But, Schwan, who would you point to as your breakout athlete of 2017? Breakout athlete? Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off the beat path. I'll, I'll, I'll say uh, Elime McFarland from uh, Bellator. She was actually the first North American organization strawweight, uh, excuse me, flyweight champion. It finished tough. Uh, she had Bellator introduced a new division. She fought multiple times. She fought her way through it, and she got a title fight, and she won it. She to become one of the to become one of the faces of Bellator, and actually be considered one of the best fi- women's fighters. Even though she's not in the UFC, she's probably considered a top ten, top five flyweight as it is right now. Plus, the work she's put in as a combat sports athlete, I think she has a she has a double appeal. She's good looking. She's exciting in her fights, and she's a finisher. And she's basically being pushed as the face of a division and a face of the organization. So I think she's a breakout. I think based on what she's done, how much she's fought, and uh, the impression she's made, I think she'd be my breakout star of the year. 
that's a good pick there, man. That's definitely um off the beaten path, and she's someone that um I think we, we need to have her on on the show at some point in time, especially to talk about what she does in uh, combat sports. But yeah, I I can I can you see. You gotta talk to Viacom. I, I yeah. talked to her a little bit. You gotta talk to Viacom to get to her. Yeah, I've 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 heard. Um, she's definitely someone that that is has drawn a lot of attention since, especially since the soccer mom fight from years ago. So, um, Mike, who do you have as your breakout performer of 2017? Well, I hope this qualifies, but uh, I'm gonna go with Francis Ngannou. You know, I think that you know he he's basically the 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 hope at heavyweight. You know, he's the he's the guy who looks like a world beater. He's the guy who's been running through competition and, you know, murdering people. And, you know, he's he's got that chance in, in a couple months to, to fight for the title. And, you know, I think that he's a guy that can can kind of put the division on his back. Um, who knows who will emerge as far as people for him to mow down. But, you know, if you want to think about a guy who casts a fearsome shadow and can put together a highlight reel and make people care about one-sided beatdowns in heavyweight MMA, he's probably the guy. And, you know, he did it all on the strength of, you know, killing people this year. Yeah, man, that um, Adam mentioned it earlier, but that knockout of Overeem was just absolutely by for lack of a better term, it was jaw dropping. I like my, my brother who doesn't watch MMA at all was sending me the gifts of it. Like what the hell happened? And it was just, it was, it was a moment that kind of got everybody to uh, stop and look. Uh, yeah. What about you, Adam? I have, I have a question about Ngannou. Go ahead. Let's just say he, he beats Stipe and he becomes a huge star. This, this is really going to hurt Tyron Woodley's thought that the UFC can't push minority fighters. It's going to be like, nah, Tyron, it's just you, dude. <laughs> You're not excited. Yeah, that is that is until Ngannou shows up at the, the press conference in his African garb, talking about the slave trade that's going on in Africa and pisses everybody off. Yes, off, off. So I know pe- people seem to like the fact he wanted to fight Nazis. So we'll we'll, we'll see how long it, it goes until he shows up and says the wrong thing about somebody, and everybody will be pissed off. Um, what about you, Adam? Yeah, I'm actually gonna pick. Um, pick a woman fighter too. But okay. I, you know, I'm having a hard time choosing between two fighters, so I'll, I'll just mention them both. The first one would be Nico Montano. She's the UFC flyweight champion right now. Like, I'll be completely honest, I had never heard of her until the Ultimate Fighter. Um, she had previously fought in King of the Cage. Actually, she had fought in a, in a, in a regional show earlier, earlier in uh, j- January and lost. But the UFC obviously saw something there, signed her. And she went through the tough house, won three fights, and then beat Roxy Mautafari to win the title. So, I mean, considering, like, I had never heard of her, and now she's a champion in the UFC, I think she's definitely, uh, you know, a good contender for, for this award. And the other female would be Cynthia Calvillo. Another fighter. Yeah. <laughs> another fighter that, honestly, like, I really hadn't heard of. She was fighting in Legacy. So, you know, that was a good start for her. And then she comes to the UFC on short notice, and then – Beats her first opponent, and then now she's 3-0 in the UFC. She's still undefeated in her career, and she's fighting Carla Sparza at UFC 219. I think she wins that fight. So, you know, for, considering she was working apparently at the Cheesecake Factory, like, earlier this year, now she's, like, probably one fight away from fighting for a UFC belt. That's pretty impressive. So I think both those ladies were extremely impressive this year and both deserve the award. 
So my, I'm gonna go with Cynthia as well. And the thing that's probably most interesting to me is that she, if she wins this weekend, she would have won five five fights this calendar year, um, four in the UFC, one outside, and she's looked great in every single one. Um, like I said, we still have to see what she does against a tough Carla Esparza this weekend, but um. Yeah, she's my pick there. And Adam, I want to kind of talk about Nico for a second there because, sure. yeah, I, I'm still not sold on that women's flyweight. Not, not, it's not that I'm not sold on a women's flyweight division. I just feel like they were – the way they set that show up, they set the winner up to drop the belt to one of these top contenders that they're really ready to pull out of their hat. I mean, you have Valentina Shevchenko fighting early next year, Jessica I fighting early next year, Paige Van Zandt. I, I kind of feel like they're setting the winner up of the, of that show to get thrown in there with someone that that they want to be a a champion. You know what? I, to win. I, Y'all do know that, right? What? It was supposed to be Modafferi or in Hanchak in the finals. Mont- no, no, it was supposed Hanchak to be Hanchak was not supposed to win. Hanchak and Montano. Uh, yeah. No, no, sorry. It was yeah, no, it was um, it wasn't Hanchak. Are you mean before the show started? You're saying. Yeah, they they yeah. set the show yeah, yeah. for Hanchak and Mataferi to win it. That's who they wanted in the finals. Yeah, and then but I mean like think about it. we're supposed to have uh like uh Eubanks or whatever. So like we would have had a new champ after the show. But I think like uh, just the fact these girls went in there and, and and fought in the house, like I again, I don't think you can take anything away from what Nico Montano did. She beat better fighters on paper in mm-hmm. her like she beat Lauren Murphy, who's a good fighter, she beat Barb Honchak, who's a really good fighter. She beat Roxy to win the belt. I think Roxy's weaker fighter than some of those fighters she beat in the house. Uh, so, uh, you know what? I think she probably does lose to like Valentina Shevchenko if she fights for the belt. But at the same time, I mean, like like you said, it, there's something impressive about going winning four fights in, in a calendar year, five fights in Calvillo's case. I think that's now, really impressive. Now, in the case of Nico Montano, I, I'm a guy that hasn't watched any of Tough. Yeah. Um, how old is she? Is she is 29. She Okay, so she's not a young, like... Not young, but she only started fighting two years ago, so, like, she's still young in the sport. She still has room to, room to grow. And the crazy thing is she lost earlier this year, right, in the pro fight. So it, it happens. Like, Calvillo's 30. She doesn't seem 30 to me, though. I thought she was way younger than that. But Yeah, so. yeah she's older. Well, you know... She, she, I, yeah, she, I, think, I, think she's, I think she's vulnerable, but I think... I can, see, I can see avenues for her to beat the girls in flyweight... At, as it stands right now, I could see avenues for her to beat Shevchenko. I'm not saying it's likely. She could just Shevchenko, take it Shevchenko's has flaws that you, yeah. you can exploit. Oh, yeah. I, I can't say that it's a guarantee that Shevchenko beats her. I've never seen Shevchenko at flyweight. And just Shevchenko's style and her approach to fighting, there's ways Nico can beat her. There, there's legitimate, actual ways that she can beat her. We're, we're trying to get her coach on with us uh, in the upcoming weeks. But uh, we're going to talk to her about that. But I, I've already looked at the fights. I've seen Shevchenko fight. I've seen Nico fight. Nico can beat Shevchenko. I'm not saying she will, but yeah. it's it's like a 60-40 fight to me. It's not a blowout by any means. I think I think you're right. But it's just like, uh, you know, in past years, I would have chosen someone like John Jones or GSP for this award. It's just kind of crazy. Like, all these stars are kind of gone now. And, like, even the fighters that do have the belts right now in the UFC, like, only fought maybe once or twice. Um or like just you know Demetrius Johnson would be a guy, but he beat Ray Borg. I mean, is that to me like that's you know a decent win, but nothing special. But I'd rather go off the board and pick someone like this. Um, you know, I, I guess like uh, you could pick a lot of people pick Max Holloway, but I think Holloway's pretty shopworn at this point. The first win was impressive. The second one, I don't, not so much for me, anyways. Not the fashion he did; he looked amazing. 
but I, I just don't rate Aldo that highly anymore. So, well, anyways, yeah, you know, Tony Ferguson would have been another guy, but he only fought once, so. Very true, very true breakdowns there. So, um, I, you can also add Marlon uh, Morales to that list, especially had he defeated Rafael uh, yeah. Sunsau. So, I mean, he's had a crazy in the 2017 at least like his last 45 days have been pretty nuts and um all it you know all you, we would have to look back to is that Rafael Sunsau fight and it was a split it was a split card so i mean he yeah. could be someone that could be on on a list as well yeah no you're right you're right absolutely just uh you know that that lost kind of to me to me Rafael Sunsau is the most underrated fighter in the roster right now that guy's yep, 10, 10 and 2 9 91 i think a band where 10 and 1 at, at uh, Bantamweight, he's no one talks about him because he's too quiet, man. He 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 can't trash talk. He can't. He yeah, but TJ Tilly TJ Dillashaw he cleaned his clock. And that's uh, did he? Yeah, he actually. Oh, a Sunsau? Yeah, Dillashaw did not. Dillashaw did not. Was, no, Sunsau beat him too. So like they're one and one. Yeah, one and one. So yeah. they both had two decisions. Um, but I just think he's just too quiet. They're gonna go with with someone else. Maybe they'll Jimmy Rivera will fight him next or something. And but, I think Rafael Sunsau has one of those styles that people just can't get behind. No. He had that big knockout um, when he fought last month. But like he, yeah, that was amazing, yeah. Yeah, like he had that big knockout there, but he just has one of those styles. He's like a John Fitch. John Fitch, uh, like the bantamweight group, you know, he has one of those styles that everybody just can't really uh, appreciate. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. But again, you know, some of these guys, we know, we've known about them. I think, you know, break for, when you talk about break a performer, I think, you know, it's better to go with fighters like Javier or even Ngannou. You know, come come out and knock out Overeem and Orlovsky kind of put himself on the map as a true contender. I mean, it's a shame yeah, that we couldn't I, get. I'd agree with you guys on that. I think you should have to do something stand out, and I think you should have a certain amount of activity for you to be able to say a year of the fighter of the year, something like that. You know, you can't be an MVP with six good games in the NFL. You can't yeah, be an MVP with thirty good games in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Moraes, if he would have gotten on this card that's coming up on the weekend, like yeah. he tried to lobby to do, that would have been huge for his Q rating. And, you know, obviously if he would have won, he would have really been poised to break out in 2018. I agree. And there's also guys like Darren Till, you can mention Mike Perry even. I know he lost recently, but, like, these guys, they kind of almost have become, like, tertiary stars in a way. Like, mm-hmm. guys, guys that, in my opinion, the UFC should be using as, like, Fight night headliners, pushing them as guys they're going to fight in their own region, regional headliners almost. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, like, like those are awesome good names. It's been a pretty interesting year. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the UFC continues to build some of, of these stars because they have they have names to work with. They have a roster on them that have some very good guys, top champions and, and not. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with some of these um, athletes over the next year or two. Um so let's look back to the two that always usually get the most argument and debate. We have fight of the year. So, Mike, let's go ahead and start with you, man. Oh, don't start with me. Don't I need some time you. to think about it. All, no. right, all right, all right, man. All right, I'll let you off this time. Schwan, I'm, 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 I'm throwing it to you, man. Looking back at 2017, what was the one fight that stands out to you the most from start to finish? Um... I probably have to say I, I I'd say it's a recent one. The Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez fight would probably be the one to stand out the most to me. Oh, really? Why is that? Uh, because it was like we like I, I said before. Even um, we talked about Eddie Alvarez quite a bit since he, he's uh, been in the UFC and we've been doing this show. It was seeing Eddie Alvarez show the full tool set and show him show the consistency that he hadn't shown 
throughout his career because in a lot of fights he had shown flashes of top-notch boxing veteran savvy discipline all-around all-around striking acumen and then he would just throw it away to get into a brawl he did it against Poirier he did it against Chandler he did it against threw away game plans threw away all his veteran experience and fought like a rookie and paid for it and in the biggest spot the second biggest spot as far as his career in the UFC fighting um Justin Gaethje who was basically violence incarnate he showed under the most pressure the most in that kind of physicality and that kind of pace he showed the best of what Eddie Alvarez the Eddie Alvarez the UFC thought they were getting when they first signed him that kind of poise that kind of discipline that kind of control that kind of high contact style and that highly technical boxing he, he showed that and he was against a guy who if he would have let off for a minute or he would have gotten out of control for a second would have overwhelmed him, would have walked through him. So in the biggest spot against the guy guy who was built to expose all his flaws and his shortcomings, he showed the most discipline, he showed the most self-control, he showed the most mental toughness. Here's Justin Gage, he keeps saying, I want to be my match, I want to be my superior, my equal, and to actually see him then actually kind of bask in the joy of being defeated, it kind of is a sort of a purest joy for the MMA, because all these guys say they love it, they want to go out on their shield, and it was interesting seeing a guy who really embraced going out on his shield and who really lived the life of, I don't want to lose by decision. If I'm going to lose, I, I want to go out. I want to yeah. be beaten. I want to be finished. And to see him respond that way kind of brings you back to the core of what mixed martial arts are. It's challenging yourself, pushing yourself, win or lose. It's not about the money. It's not about the belt. It's not about the fame. It's testing yourself yeah regardless of the result that fight was so good man what an amazing fight that was honestly like uh you know if, if it went one more minute for the cards it could have been gage's decision like it was a really close fight i have no way i think eddie might have edged it personally but who knows what the judges saw like going into that into the third round right so what a fight so what about you adam uh what was your pick of fight of of, of the year well to be honest i'm going to take justin gage's other fight against michael johnson that fight was so amazing. That fight was absolutely incredible. Uh, Justin Gaethje, talk about favorite fighters. I mean, I, I think he's right there for me. Like, I love watching this guy fight. Like Sean said, like, he's everything you want in an MMA fighter. The guy is just so battle-hardened. He's just there to fight, man. He's there to scrap. He's there to put on a show for the fans. He's there to either knock the other guy out or get knocked on himself. And he looked like he was unbeatable for a couple, for a long time. But I guess that style finally caught up to him. But that Michael Johnson fight, I mean, that first round, he took so much punishment. Um, second round comes out there and knocks him out late in the second round. I think they combined to throw more significant strikes in like a round in two, in two rounds than like any other fight all year, basically. Um, you know, that, and also like it was interesting hearing other fighters talk about that fight. You know, I always like hearing what the other fighters say about their peers. And they were all like, man, I want to be like Justin Gaethje. I want to win the double bonus. I want to win performance of the night and fight of the night. You know, get all the fans. Like, no one even knew who he was besides us, like, hardcore fans. And because he was fighting World Series of Fighting. But after that fight, I mean, people talk about him now. And obviously, he lost to Eddie, so he's going to have to climb his way back up the ladder. But for, for that night, I, I don't think I was more excited all year, except for maybe when, when uh, GSP submitted Bisping. But other than that, like, that fight, I was jumping on my chair, man. That was incredible. And uh, that, was my, that was my fight of the year. So... I appreciate all, all the um, the choices y'all y'all guys guys have given so far, especially with 
Justin, because you know, I was I was hoping that we got to see him and Connor fight at some point in uh, 2018. It may still happen, 2018, 2019. But the fight that I want to go with is uh, Doho Choi and Cub Swanson from earlier uh, this year. And the reason being is because that was the type of fight that was just crazy from start to finish. I had a friend who um, she wasn't a much of a MMA fan. She only kind of watched it whenever I was around and, and whenever a fight was on. The, the look on her face as that fight was going on was like, it was appalling, but it was exciting at the same time. She was like, just, she couldn't look away. It was like a bad train wreck. And that's exactly what it was. Like at, at one point in the fifth round, I was yelling at Doho Choi just not to go down. It was almost like that last scene in, in, in Rocky when him and Apollo are, are throwing punches and you got Mick yelling, just don't go down. Like that's really how bad that fight was to me. And I, neither one of these guys are going to be the same. Like Doho Choi is fighting, uh, I think Jeremy Stevens next, which I think is a horrible idea, but I don't think either one of those guys are ever going to be the same after that fight. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, and I think in a, in a lot of ways, as exciting as that fight was, the recognition during the fight that we were seeing two fighters take years off of their career, definitely, at least for me, um, took a lot of the air out of the sails. Um, you know, these were two guys that were just kind of too tough for their own good. Um, and, you know, and to that end, I mean, I, I was just debating between the two Justin Gaethje fights. And I think, yeah, I think the Eddie Alvarez fight, you know, it's slightly tipped in my, you know, in favor as far as what I'm concerned. Um, you know, just because the stakes were a little bit higher, um, you know, the meta story involving Eddie Alvarez, you know, kind of being that fighter that we we all know Eddie Alvarez to be and kind of actualizing himself in the UFC against probably his toughest fight in his most violent fight in front of as probably the most people that have ever seen him fight. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot involved in that fight and I was happy, you know, I was happy for Eddie and happy for both fighters. I think that it was one of those rare fights, especially in this landscape where both fighters kind of won that night. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's the thing. I think that sometimes fighters too, like, or fans even, media, it's not even only about winning sometimes. It's about bringing, captivating the fan, the audience, you know, and, and bringing them out of their chairs. And you don't even really remember Justin lost that, lost that fight. You just remember it was an amazing fight, right? If right. You, go there, you go out there and put on, put on your, go on your shield like that, fans will respect that, man. But that, that's what I was also saying about Justin. Like, all these guys always say that and, and like, I never fought before, so I can't speak from that point. But it's like, if I go train and I spar with somebody, it's like, it's my way of testing myself. It's my way of seeing where I stand and how good I am. Whether I win or lose or do well or not, I have a better sense of my skills and myself. And that's what Justin Gaethje, his entire career, said, I want to be my equal. I want to be my superior. His coach said, I'm not changing his style. He, he, wants, to, he, he wants to find out certain answers. I'm going to allow him to do that by fighting, the way, by fighting in a manner that's true to himself. Yeah. And that's what he did. And so, like, even in the loss, he's not bitter about it. He's not – the ref stopped it too early. All he's saying is, you know what? I lost the way I lost. I fought the way I wanted to fight. I found out what I needed to find out. And I'm good with it. Wouldn't have had that that outlook losing a fight that could have been a money fight for him, a possible Conor McGregor fight, maybe an interim title shot. A lot of fighters would have been angry about that. Not him. He was He was glad for the experience. He was completely happy with it. 
Yeah, definitely. It was, it was a hell of a uh, experience from start to finish. So the next one I wanted to look at was um, knockout of the year. And we have quite a few different knockouts to pick from because, um, I mean, there's so many different selections out there. I was just having a conversation with someone on Twitter from, from earlier this week about the just the knee knockout of, of the year. So, uh, Shawan, I want to start with you first, man. What When you look back at all the knockouts that happened in 2017, what's the one that stands out to you the most? I don't see how anybody didn't say the Nganu fight. Like, it was just so... <laughs> so, I mean, there were, like, memes. I mean, it was just so dramatic and so... I mean, I've seen Overeem get knocked out. It takes away from it because Overeem's been knocked out before, but he's never been knocked out like that. I mean, it... I mean, I've seen him knocked out many times before, and I've never seen him knocked out in a manner where I thought he was... He was literally... He was just... He was just dead. I thought it was over for him. And it's like, that's the fight that's going to... It's really going to propel Ngannou to that next level of stardom. When you see heavyweights win, you don't want that grinding knockout. You don't want that exhaustion knockout. You want that crisp, clean, he landed that shot, that guy looked like the guy was killed, and you don't know how anybody could have survived that shot. And that, and that kind of shot is the kind of thing that it, I think puts him in that next level of superstardom. So I, I don't know how I don't know how else. What, you know what? Let me take that back. The uh, Marais knockout against... Uh, the Funk Master that probably did that. Ooh. I mean, he knocked him out and he he dabbed while unconscious. <laughs> that was rough, dude. I showed my kids that and they were like, "Wow, that's bad." All right, Adam, who you got for 2017 Knockout of the Year? Well, I mean, it's hard to go against obviously Engano, but uh, I guess I'll go off the board here now that it's already been taken, and I'll go with big upset. Darren Elkins knocking out Mursad Bektic. That was sick. Um, huge underdog. He was like a 5-1 to one underdog. Everyone thought Bektic was like the next future champion in featherweight. Guy was absolutely dominating the fight. And then with like a few minutes left, he completely gassed out. And then Elkins landed a head kick. Darren Elkins via head kick. Like, <laughs> who saw that coming, right? So, I mean, to, to me, a guy like Darren Elkins, who's been in the UFC for like almost probably a decade now, fighting on the prelims, uh, changing his style, evolving as a fighter, changing from a guy who was, you know, a quote-unquote lane prayer, who just wrestled guys. Now he's showing – he has some striking skills. He's training a team alpha male. He's evolving. Um, he's, a, he's definitely a top 15 fighter in featherweight division. He's fighting Michael Johnson next. I think that's a really interesting fight. I'm really ex excited for that fight, actually. Um, so I, I'm going to go off the board and take uh, the Elkins knockout. Okay, okay, good, you know, good, I, good. Just, just a side note, even though he won that fight – I really think his corner should. Have, I mean, he yeah, you know it's crazy. Jordan, you don't come back from as easily. I think there's going to be some residual effects from that. Oh yeah, and that guy, and he cuts so easily. He was, I mean, just remember, uh, it was, it was. I think I was saying on the TV. I'm like, you know, yelling at the TV, stop the fight, throw it in. Same with that fight. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do submission in the year, but Yuri Alcantara when he fought Luke Sanders, it was like a 10-7 round in the first round, and then the second round. All of a sudden, he submits him. So you never know in the sport, man. Like, I was, again, another fight where I was like, they should throw the towel in, throw the towel in, and then the guy loses. So it's just, it's such a crazy sport. That's why we love it. Yeah, we're definitely going to do that. Um, the result doesn't change my perspective, though. I'm still going to say they should have stopped that. I just, I'm thinking long term. I think that does something to him, but that's just me. We're going to do submission of the year, too, as well. And, um, uh, I, the, when thinking back to that Darren Elkins fight, like that picture of him af right after he won and that excitement on his face, like those are the sports pictures that are like going to like set this year apart. There's so many examples of that. And that, and that, that 
yell on his face where he was basically he knew he was getting his ass kicked for like four or like twenty minutes of the, of that fight, and just the this just the elation on and the relief on his face when he pulled that out. You can see it in every um in every shot after that. Yep, I agree. What about you, Mike? I mean, I gotta go chalk, man. I gotta go with Ngannou. Um, that was, you know, that's not a that's not a knockout that you show when you like you're clowning to your friends about how stupid a fighter made it, another fighter look. That's that you know knockout that makes you gasp audibly and you know and say that you know, my God, this man has a family, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like you know, but but for real, you know, like so. I mean, I mean yeah, like that knockout was bad. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who don't like Overeem for whatever reason, and there's just everyone was concerned about his well-being, and and you know, and, yeah, and that's true. There's people I know who are like F Overeem. They're like, oh my god, is he okay? Like, I'm about right. to hate him. I hate him, but I don't hate him like that, man. Exactly, <laughs> a knockout that that may, that brings you all the way to the other side of sympathy, you know, has to be a life-changing knockout. I mean, I mean you know, if somebody knocked out one of my friends like that. I had to hit him with a bat or something. <laughs> That's how bad that was. Like they were like that without it, it was like that. And that picture again, that picture is what everyone's going to remember of um, Overeem's head being snapped back. But just like, just listening to the the options that you guys have picked, there's so many f- KOs from this year that was just ridiculous. I mean, I, my my first pick is going to uh-huh. be Edson Barbosa. The way he did the Benil Dariush. Was absolutely like Benil Dariush will never shoot a double leg again in his life. I don't care if he's in the gym working on drilling double legs. He's going to see that flashback of Barbosa catching him with that knee and putting him out, and he will never take a double leg again. Like, and the worst thing of this is like when the next day Mark Henry sends out a picture of Edson drilling that same knee like two and three days before that, like 15 minutes straight doing nothing else but that jumping knee and to see him hit that so perfectly in, in that fight was, it was just, I mean, it's just it the things that it's the thing as someone who grew up wrestling and as someone who teaches wrestling, that's the thing that I will never show anybody in, in my class because everybody will quit. Yeah, I admit he was losing. He was losing that fight too. He was getting beat up and pressured, and then it sounded like a baseball bat just whack, and he was out. And there's so many other ones too, like uh, the one that um, Gaston Bellanos had at Bellator 189, the the spinning elbow. Oh um, like, like, if you guys saw that joint, yeah. but he, I mean, the way his opponent fell over. Man. Like you, like you can't, you like that's a video game s knockout. Like he, like he just went limp and bent at the waist yep. and fell straight over on his like that. He looked like he was dead. Like there's so many different you know examples the, of that. The Holly Holm uh, Betch Cohea knockout was pretty bad because she dropped oh. her with that kick and then she was sitting up and she just hit her with a late left hook. There's that, so, was, there's, that was pretty bad. I mean, there's so many like Dan Hooker knocking out um, Ross Pearson. With 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 his step knee sending his mouthpiece clear out of his mouth, like there's so many bad knockouts from this year that it's really hard to pick out KO KO the year unless if you say I would love to see someone put a compilation of like all the top ten knockouts from 2017. I mean, like yeah. it, oh, there will be. We didn't even mention Jones against DC, but I guess it doesn't, yeah. Even, yeah. doesn't even count anymore. I guess right. Yeah, that's the problem. Like it was up there for me, but I just you know I'm, I'm in protest. Yeah. It's hard to. It's hard to give that any kind of reward. Yeah, no like, idea. We won't give it credit, but Daniel's gonna feel the effects of that knockout yeah. in his career. Sure. 
and what and again, what's crazy about not that knockout too is if you guys remember back to when they were promoting, I want to say it was the second fight, or, or excuse me, where they I think they were promoting the, the first one when they were on ESPN and the cameras weren't supposed to be running. Do y'all remember this? Yeah, yeah. And um, Jones was talking about the way DJ or um, the way Cormier always ducks to that side. You can hear Jones picking on him saying, yeah, well, I know you always duck to that side. You always duck to that side. And Cormier saying, yeah, well, I've never been knocked out. A year later, that's exactly what happened here. So that kind of makes that knockout much more impressive as well. Yep. Right. I mean, he called a shot. Hey, he might be a jerk, but he's a genius. He's yeah, he, he, I mean, mental, technical genius. And again, it's he what just, it makes it so disappointing. It's like the I felt like John, can be Jones... John Jones is a light pole and drugs and naked women. <laughs> Other than that, nobody can beat him. <laughs> no, I just, I, like I said, I felt like John Jones really came into his own that night. You know, everything came together for him, you know, as a fighter, as a personality, as a tactician, as someone who called his shot and then went ahead and did it. And then someone who, who, who mastered the magnanimous, I embarrassed this guy so badly that I want him to go home and hug his family. Like, it, it all came together. It, you know, that moment alone, had he not pissed hot, would have, you know, put him right back at the on the top of the map. Definitely there, definitely there. So um submission of the year. I didn't put it on the list, but we're definitely gonna talk about this. Um Adam, what do you have as your best uh submission of twenty seventeen? Ooh, there's a few good ones. Um man. Can I just say DJ? And then and, and walk away? Of course you can. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. You know what's funny? I wasn't even thinking about that right now, but that's obviously an amazing situation. Um, You know what? I'm going to go with two submissions and then OSP, man, the back-to-back Von Flew chokes. Like, yeah, a good one. That's so sick. How do, I don't know how he did it. Like, I think he had the second and third in UFC history, right, after Jason Von Flew. You don't see that choke at all. Gets back-to-back fights over Okami and Delima. I mean, you have to go up. You have to put him up there. Um, again, maybe subpar competition, but getting that submission is, is, is brilliant at this level. Um, but as far as like high stakes go, I, I'd have to go with maybe Tony Ferguson against Kevin Lee with that triangle choke. That was that was incredible. I love Tony Ferguson. The guy's an amazing fighter. So I think there's some really good options. And obviously, DJ, like you just mentioned. Good point there. Good point. Schwan, who do you have for submission of 2017? Um, I probably, it's going to be kind of a corny pick, but I, I would go with GSP just because in the nature of the, with the Demetrius Johnson thing, that was very impressive, but he was in complete control of the fight. And I know if you mess it up, you turn the fight around, but the likelihood of that was very low. I mean, when you're in a tough fight and the fight could go either way and you take a chance in finishing and GSP was losing the fight to Bisping, he was taking some punishment and he was able to turn the fight around and finish it. And nobody really coming, even though he, he had the credentials and the skills that said he could do that. Nobody would have thought that once the fight turned in Bisping's favor, that that GSP would have been able to turn it around and to finish. He wasn't known as a finisher. He wasn't known as the guy who would get into wild exchanges on his feet. And he did both of those in the biggest spot against arguably one of his best opponents ever. 
Okay, we all got some um some good some good picks there. Me, um, <clears throat> I guess from a jujitsu standpoint, there's a there's a submission that kind of that always will stand out to me, and it didn't even happen in the UFC this year. I'm going to challenge everybody to go and uh go uh, go on YouTube. Diego Brandao's submission in yeah. January of this year. Dude hits a helicopter armbar in an MMA fight, and I don't know if you guys can visualize what a helicopter armbar is, but it's basically where you lift somebody with your feet. Throw them in your, throw them into the air. They fall on their back, and you armbar them all at the same time. So think about what DJ did: picking somebody up and throwing them in the air, catching them and armbarring them, just doing it from your back. That's what Diego did back in January, and, and like that's some shit that should never happen. That's yeah. like that's like if you, if someone comes to McDonald's, they order a quarter pounder with cheese, and you give them a Whopper. Like that's impossible. That's <laughs> how that helicopter armbar was to me when it, when I saw it in. Um, in January of this year, and it has to be the submission of the year, in my opinion. Great pick. I'm watching it right now. What an amazing song, eh? No, it was crazy. Like, there's no reason. If I'm the other, if I'm that, if I'm his opponent's coach, I tell him to put his gloves down in the center of the cage and retire right now because <laughs> it's only downhill from here. Yeah. So one last, uh, we went over fighter of the year, man. Who we, who do you got for fighter of the year? So this is going to be a hard one here because there's always so many different. Um, people to pick from and you know it's always this is probably one of the most hotly debated categories across the board so uh mike since i let you off the hook last time i'm coming to you <laughs> who do you have for fighter of the year for 2017 wow that's that's rough uh you know i mean the the answer is obviously conor mcgregor despite not fighting at all he's all that anyone <laughs> wanted to talk about but um That's... That's just funny though. Like the the guy you think of immediately, right? For MMA Fighter of the Year, didn't even fight in MMA. It's just like the guy. It just shows like the kind of grasp the guy has in the sport. Yeah. You want me to, you want me to jump in, Michael, or do you have one? Yeah, yeah. You help me out a little bit, so I give. No, me... I, I had. I honestly have two. Like, uh -huh. for me, there's two guys, and I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time picking them. The first one would be Okan Ozdemir, um, coming into the UFC short notice, beating uh, OSP, and then knocking out. Uh, Misha Serkinov, and then knocking out Jimmy Manuel. You talk about knockout to the year. That one was insane too. That was vicious, man. How, the, the lightning speed of his punches there. So, I think coming out of nowhere, going three and zero in the UFC, and getting a title shot against DC. Like this guy might knock DC out. Like maybe he's that good. I really have no idea how good this guy is. It's 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 fun to have a guy like that at two hundred five because um, that division is absolutely barren. As I wrote in an article last week on MMA ratings. And uh, anyways, the other guy I was going to say is. Uh, RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos, losing back-to-back -back fights in 155, moving up to 170, and reinventing himself in a new weight class and going 3-0, beating Safadine, Magni, and now just destroying Robbie Lawler. Just a one-sided fight against Robbie Lawler. I've never seen Lawler lose that badly in years. So I think those two guys, and both guys really deserve title shots. Yeah, who, you, um, who do you have there, uh, Shawan, for your fighter of the year? Uh, I I really was gonna go Rose Nama Yunus. I mean, I know Michelle Waterston wasn't exactly considered to be a top-notch opponent, but the fact is she was ranked very high, and people thought it was a 50-50 fight going in. So she beat Waterston, and then she joined up for the title. I want to say that she fought uh, Tisha Torres this year too. Sure. Keep talking. I'll let but you know. But but either either way, she those are two of the better as far as the rankings go. I know that people say the rankings don't matter, but we still have them. 
those would have been two of the better wins in as you know other people they fought lesser they fought lesser name fighters or they fought Max Holloway's case he fought somebody he already beat twice and and most of the guys who who, who are on win streaks were beating guys who weren't top notch Rafael Desanya the first legitimate welterweight he beat was Robbie Lawler beating up Neil Magny doesn't impress me he doesn't impress me beating Waterston beating Torres I think and then beating Joanna the most dominant per, the, really the the second champion the most dominant champion the strawweight divisions had those are all those are all highlights and she won by finished and she beat people who are in the top 10 so i i think that will make her the number the fighter of the year uh she beat torres in 2016 the only two wins she has this year is waterson and yuana yeah well, i'll even go with those just for the because where those got where they were ranked they were both ranked one was a champion one was ranked extremely high and she finished both of them she finished she finished both of them in, within two rounds so i'm going to give it to her based off those two wins, the ranking of the fighter and the quality of the fighter technically. Because, I mean, Watterson was a former champion, not in the UFC, but in Invicta, she was a former champion. She was a top five ranked strawweight. And Joanna was no worse than the second most dominant champion in the UFC. And she beat her and made it look easy. So I, I'd go with um, Rose. And who do you have there, uh, Mike? Uh, we got some time to come back to you. Who you got? Oh, man. You know, it's tough. You guys, you guys, I... I think that Shawan kind of convinced me. You know, I was going through the divisions in my head, and you know, I wanted to say Bobby Knuckles, but I don't think he, I don't think he quite put the cherry on top uh, of this of the year. Um, you know, I think he still maybe is a little bit lacking in in terms of putting the stamp on the year and having you think about. You know, he's technically even though he is the champion, he didn't beat the lineal champion. Um, whereas Rose, you know, took out the, the queen, you know, she, she, she took out the most dominant female fighter and, you know, and now it's her division. Now the world is her oyster and she pulled up the upset of the year. Um, maybe not the upset of the year, but the, the, the biggest upset that I can think about. Um, and, you know, this is an example of a prospect, someone that was, you know, being lauded as, as a future champion, actually, you know, making it happen for her. And she has the opportunity to carry, you know, one half of the sport on her back. Um, we'll see, it remains to be seen what's going to happen in 2018, but, you know, prospects look good for her. And who do you have there, Adam? Who are you looking at as your uh, fighter of the year for 2017? Oh, I'm really white, man. So I think it's your turn now. Oh, it is? Oh, crap. Okay, so... um. <laughs> this is pretty hard, man, because there's so many guys who had some pretty interesting years. And if you look at the UFC pound for pound um, rankings, most of the individuals on this list only fought one time. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them have only fought that one time it being recently. I think DJ and a few others are the only two who have are the only ones who have fought more than once this round or this year. So it's definitely pretty difficult. And looking back, you know, I'm I'm going to have to add, maybe even add this. Uh, this may be another accolade for um, Cynthia uh, Calvillo. Let's see who she's beaten this year. But just the run that she's gone on to kind of get to this point to set up her 2018. Um, let's see. So in this year it's alone, not, it's not as impressive when you look at it. When you really look at it, it's not as impressive as you as you're remembering it being. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The the, the biggest one she has right now is Joan. Uh, is Joanne Calderwood. Yeah, and then in the Pearl Gonzalez. I mean, I guess they kind of looked better on paper at, at the time. 
So I, if she pulls out Saturday's win, you know, she could be someone that's uh, considered in that in that conversation. Maybe uh, Max Holloway with two big wins this year. But I don't. Uh, man, let me think. Who could you really pick as fighter of, of the year for um, 2017? I even looked at Tony Ferguson, but he's only fought. Yeah. One time this year, I'm at, telling you that Rose Namajunas pick looks real good now. as well. I mean, that, it definitely does. It definitely does because she's. I mean, she really did what she had to do this year. I guess I'm gonna go out on a limb. I mean, I kind of want to pick Rafael uh, Losanios too, just because he's gone up a weight class and he he. It, it's, it's almost impressive the way he's still fighting the same way he did as a lightweight and beating people. I mean, this is the guy that we saw get his face rearranged by. Um, Jeremy Stevens, so many years ago, and he's just—I mean—and then he had Clay Guida basically give him side control pressure and break his jaw, and now he's on on the cusp of a welterweight title shot. And we, and so a lot of people will pick him to beat Tyron. So I'm, I mean, I, I think he's had a definitely very interesting year, but I won't have to go between one of one of those two fighters, either Rose or Rafael. You know, I was gonna say like. Uh, there's still one event left, and we should keep that in mind. There's still two, uh, the UFC 219 in the weekend, right? Like, just say Holly Holm goes in there and knocks out Cyborg. I mean, she'd have to be in the consideration too, right? Like, that's, true. that's very true. Or if Cyborg wins, I mean, she. Cyborg, yeah, for sure, absolutely. I mean, Holly Holm already lost this year to Jermaine Randomy, but no one remembers that fight, right? Like, it's so bad. But goes knocks out Korea. Just say she knocks out Cyborg, or say Cyborg knocks Holly Holm or submits her or something. Or just say Edson Barbosa goes there and knocks Habibo. I mean, that would he'd have to be up there too, right? Like, so we have to keep in mind there's still one card left. But uh, if home beats Cyborg, she'll become the Eli Manning of mixed martial arts. Yeah, <laughs> with an inconsistent regular career. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, she'll be the the most clutch, the most clutch female fighter of all time. <laughs> Only good in the clutch, nowhere else. <laughs> Seriously, you're right about that. You're, you're definitely right about that. So let's look forward, man. Um, we have a couple more days till we have 2018 upon us. We already see some uh, fights getting announced for the new year. Let's make some predictions for 2018. Schwan, I'm going with you first, man. What is your hot take prediction of something that will go down in the year of 2018? Um, I think that after she defeats Holly Holm, Cyborg will at least have one or two, probably one, maybe two boxing matches, one of them for a title. Wow. Okay, okay. I mean, you know, as they get Zufa boxing off off ground, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I mean, it's another opportunity for them to kind of build their marketplace. So that, that could be something that definitely goes down. Um, Cyborg versus Clarissa Shields, keep it in mind. I mean, they already do spar against each other, and, and Cyborg doesn't look that bad against her, so... I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Adam, what do you have as your 2018 prediction? You know, Dana White came out today and said they've had no discussions of a GSP versus McGregor fight. So obviously that means that they're talking about it. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Michael actually said this last year on the podcast that – Yeah, I was going to run it back. That this was going to be his pick for, for storyline or, or fight of the – 2017, we didn't see that. We saw Mayweather, Gregor. I think I think it could happen, guys. I really do. Just because there's so much money to be made. And GSP's are he's he's just screwing around at this point, man. He's so good. And I think he could beat Connor. You know, and that's a pretty favorable matchup for him considering the size advantage and the wrestling. But you know, I think both guys know that that's a that's gonna be a blockbuster fight. And um, you know, it's unfortunate. I you someone mentioned earlier Brock Lesnar versus John Jones. That would have been 
Like, I think the UFC wanted to do that fight pretty bad. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Both guys are suspended, I believe. So, um, I, I do think might that... Might in America. Might yep, happen man. in Japan. You never know Ryzen, right? You never know. That's what you have Ryzen for. But, New Year's uh, Eve next year. Uh, Lesnar Jones. <laughs> never know, man. I mean, if UFC... Well, I don't know if they'll ever actually contractually release John Jones. Like, I don't think that's a smart idea for them as a company. Because the moment they caught him, he's signing with Ryzen and fighting in Japan, right? So, because um, I think his career as a, in, as a fighter in the U.S. is over, obviously four year suspension, probably. So, um, but yeah, no, those guys, those fights, and and then the fight that I think we all want to see is uh, Habib versus Ferguson. I think that fight's going to happen this year, next year. I think that I, I think we're going to see that fight finally, and I'm really interested to see what happens because both guys are they're both like elite fighters with like very few flaws in their game, so it should be pretty fun to watch. Definitely. So, so here's my question about that fight: Is that yeah. fight going to be for an interim title or for the real lightweight? Well, I, I think they should strip Connor. I mean, like this is, to me, it's a joke that he still has a belt. But again, Dana White said today, again, and Dana White's not a reliable source. So you never know. But not a reliable source. He said they're not stripping him. So I guess it would be for an interim belt, even though the champion's healthy and can fight. But because the guy is holding the division hostage, like to me, Connor's such a selfish guy. You know, you talk about. You know, Wait, I just figured. I just thought about something. If yeah, Conor McGregor fights GSP and defeats him, yeah, he will be in possession of four lineal titles. <laughs> That's crazy. How do you have four? Oh, how do you have four? Because GSP retired as the welterweight. Oh, champion. stop. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, just stop. I'm just saying he hasn't lost. I mean, that's a legitimate fact. That that is a that's, that's, cool. that's, how they do guys, in boxing. Guys, that's exactly how they do it in boxing. What do you guys think about uh, Dana White saying you know Floyd's gonna sign maybe sign with the UFC? Like we're talking to Floyd like about fighting. Like it's to me it's is this a, is this real life? Like are they are they thinking about maybe doing a, like a Zufa boxing match? Is that what he's talking about, or is he actually talking about having you know a rematch maybe between Floyd and Connor in 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 the octagon with four ounce gloves? I that think this never might break his record for pay-per-view sales. That would go. That might hit three million. That, that that would just explode, right? Like it'd be. I mean, I don't want to see the rematch between those guys. But does it change because if they're wearing smaller gloves in the MMA cage, maybe it does. So it won't happen. That won't so happen. What, yeah. what are the malleable jurisdictions as far as Texas still, where anything basically goes as long as they're as long as there's promotion or something. Connor had no boxing fights, and he fought in, yeah, and fought in boxing. I mean, they could just right, say. Right, but I'm imagining, has... I'm imagining one of those boxing matches with four inch gloves in the cage. You know, That's what, I'm imagining. what jurisdiction yeah. would be would well, sign off on that? Like, you know, no ground game or like no going to the ground. Like you're just right. Like, yeah, it's just boxing with a. Yeah, I know you're in the cage, right? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't know, man, but like I am interested in seeing what the UFC does with this whole Zufa boxing thing, like. I'm starting to think that's what they're thinking about. Because I remember Connor a while ago was saying, he's like, why don't I start my own promotion where we just have, you know, we have UFC fights without the ground game. Like, I was just thinking, what's this guy talking about? But now, maybe that's what he's saying, Michael. Like, maybe Connor wants to be part of this two-foot boxing thing with Dane. And they have, like you said, boxing matches in four-ounce gloves. And you're not allowed to kick. You're not allowed to grapple. Like, it's just, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think you were talking about Michael earlier, Dana White. Getting getting his the, the good while it's still good, and then cashing out and, and taking his check and leaving in a few years. I think I think you're dead on, man. I think he's 
he's seeing that he can't take the sport any farther and he's going to try making as much money as he can now. That's why I think he doesn't care about the belts anymore. I don't know if Dana ever really truly did the last few years. I think it's a, the what a belt means doesn't mean as much as it used to back in the day, but I think Dana is all about cashing out, enjoying the fritillas on the beaches, sipping martinis, and just throwing money around. You know what I mean? So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, in order for a belt to matter, the division has to matter. And, you know, the other side of it is that if a if a star is wearing a belt, then it matters more. But it's it's artificial when a star is wearing a belt. You know, that's why the inter- interim belt is an interesting, um, you know, interesting um, phenomenon. Because sometimes interim fights, interim title fights matter because they're uncrowned champions. And other times they're just an excuse to create artificial stakes. You know, I think what's happening now is, you know, I I try not to be so negative on Conor McGregor because he's out there getting his money. But, you know, he's setting fire to division after division by not defending the title and making whoever gets the title after him look like, you know, illegitimate. Yeah. And if he ends up doing the same thing at lightweight, then no matter what happens between Nurmagomedov and Ferguson, there everyone will just come back with, well, you know, you never fought Connor. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, so I think if you're Dana, you know, and if you're thinking, do I do I try to rebuild these divisions that before Connor and after Connor, there really haven't been stars capable of carrying it, or do I just ride this Connor train until it derails? You know, I think that you know my my I'm going to double down on my Conor McGregor GSP fight, and I'm going to say that that is both fighters' last fight in the UFC. Wow. You know, and if I really want to double down, if they make enough money, I could see that being Dana White's swan song. Wow. Oh, man. You know, I don't think you're that crazy, like, anymore. (laughs) I thought last year, you know, maybe not. But, I mean, after this year, I could see anything happening, man. I mean, there was already that rumor this year that Dana White was brought out. You know, they never, you know, it could never really been confirmed. It was never really kind of uh, mentioned since then. But that, I definitely remember that conversation around summer of this year when he was supposedly brought out. Well, so the question is, what this the the uh, WME bought the promotion in July, right? Of last year, correct. Live last year, so that puts them at about that puts them at about two years. That seems like the right amount of time that a contract, you know, would would say you had to stick around and continue to um, help to ease in the transition. I wouldn't be surprised if in the early summer we, you know, we hear about um, a little bit more about how a company is going to be run in the later part of the year. And, you know, maybe in right around the same time as McGregor, um, as McGregor Mayweather in the late summer, they do that fight. And then, you know, that's, that's it. A new transition. So, um, who, I guess I just that that leaves me with my uh, prediction of 2018. And I mean, to be honest with you, <clears throat> I was going to stick with with the one I picked last year because I, I had said that Dana would be out of the UFC entirely. So mm-hmm. I'm, not, but that's kind of like that's kind of like the writing on the wall, I guess, at this point in time. So I'm going to say that oh, at the end. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say at the end of 2018, we will be looking at a UFC without Conor McGregor at, at, as a champion. 
Meaning either he loses one of those be- or either he loses his belt or it's eventually stripped from him and he's just doing super fights, i.e. the GSP fight. Mm-hmm. But I do not think by the end of 2018, he will not be a, a champion for one reason or another. Okay, now here's a crazy out there, like, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't even know what to call it like way, way over the line uh, prediction that I just came up with. What do you think it would cost for Conor McGregor to become the UFC promoter? Like, you know, not necessarily, like part owner of the UFC slash the the guy who does all the... I'm not going to lie, earlier in the podcast, I had the same thought in my head. And I was like, imagine Conor takes over Dana's spot and like becomes the president like that. Like, is it that crazy to think about anymore? Like, no. And he's only 29 years old. Yeah. And he could sell a fight, man. He'd be an amazing promoter, I think, honestly. You know, but I don't know yeah, if that's I what he wants that. To I mean, be. he, I, I think he'd be the best person. I mean, they need a person with a strong personality, a person who's got a fan base and appeals to people. And even though I don't know that Connor's a better businessman in the true sense of business, I think he has some of the. Talking points that Dana White does, he'd be brash, he'd be bold, and the right. difference would be when Conor McGregor is calling out a fighter for quitting or not fighting or punking out. It has a little more weight to it because he's an actual fighter. And so right. Dana, no, exactly, yeah. That's the thing about Dana. You know, fake, like, you're, yeah, no, the, the Dana all these years, you know, saying like, you know, GSP doesn't, he, he's just harsh on in it, or like, you know, calling guys out for quitting, like you said. You can always go back and say, Dana, you don't fight, you don't, you're, you don't know what they go through, but. Connor goes in there and, and becomes the head of it. And, and why not? His, in his, like for him, like, why would he fight MMA again? To me, like, it doesn't make sense unless it's the GSP fight because after that $100 million payday in boxing, how can you come back and fight for, like, you know, $20 million or whatever against Tony Ferguson? A tough guy might beat you. Why would and you it's even not just the payday. Right? It's the residuals from being famous, his his liquor brand, his yeah. clothing line, all that got, got a big, huge push. The push it never would have gotten on a on a mixed martial arts on uh, platform. Right, and I'll take it a step further. If you're WME and you really want to make a splash and you really want to change the narrative and turn it, you know, we 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 talked a little bit about how the fighters, you know, feel like they they've been hosed for all these years to like put a former fighter in Dana's old spot to you know to make him presumably the go between between corporate and the interests of, of fighters writ large, you know, it would kind of be a coup. Yeah, it, it would be yeah. a big news getter. I think once the, once he was off the board, I think a lot of fighters would sign on because Connor's still at the peak of his powers as having influence. So I think a lot of fighters would sign on for it and that'd be a, it'd be a huge story. It would it'd be you know it essentially would shut down the news news flow for at least a couple of days minimum. Yeah. Definitely there, definitely there. So, all in all, man, this has been another great end of, end of year show. Um, before we go, let's talk about some of the things that we're working on. Adam, let us know uh, where can we find your work and what are some of the projects that you are working on. I just uh, sent Michael an article on the Habib uh, fight against Barboza and why I think that he should fight Ferguson next with Connor getting stripped. So that you can check that out at MMA ratings. Net, hopefully tonight or tomorrow. And then also on fightodds.io, I just posted my picks and predictions for UFC 219. That's the last card of the year. Hopefully I'll go, go with a uh, pre- pretty good uh, 
pretty good night of picks. Uh, definitely some some really interesting fights in the card. I can see I can see a lot of upsets actually on Saturday night. So it's always good to end the year with that card. And uh, also, hey, we shouldn't forget about Ryzen that's happening this weekend. It's always nice to have that Japanese year end card. So looking forward to that. And, and once again, thanks for having me on the podcast, man. It was a lot of fun. No oh, man, it's always always a always a pleasure. And where can they find you on uh, Twitter as well? You can find me on Twitter at mm Adam Martin. I'm always on there talking about MMA. So feel free to shoot me a message and let's talk about MMA. Awesome. And what about you, Mike? What are some of the things you are working on, sir? Well, I'm got a big plans for 2018 on on MMA ratings. Um, you know, I got got some things that I'm want to keep uh, close to the to vest. I, I want to try to expand to some non MMA content. Uh, I've got some some conversations going on on that. Um, obviously, I've got some editing, got some pieces to push out <laughs> in the next couple of days. Um, you know, we're looking to we're looking to get. You know, we we had a little down downstroke in term in terms of my time and in terms of the content that we've been pushing out. But hopefully, we can you know redouble our efforts in 2018. Hopefully, you're gonna hear my voice a little bit more on these podcasts. I'm gonna try to rearrange my schedule to make it out um, to you know make it home in time. You know, maybe not for the full podcast, maybe towards the end. You know, a short segment like a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, hopefully you guys don't get sick of me. Ah, never that, never that, man. And what about you, Schwann? What you got? Um, recently, I did a two-part article called of a series of articles I've been doing called Don't Sweat the Technique. This, this one is over home. Holly Home versus Cyborg. Part one was focusing on Holly Home. Part two was focusing on Cyborg. For MMA ratings, I did a uh, Do's a Don't edition for Carla Esparza. Um, and her matchup with Cynthia Calvillo basically break down what I feel that Carla Esparza needs to do to defeat Cynthia Calvillo on UFC 219. Outside of that, um, I'll be trying to get interviews for the show, occasionally working with fighters. Um, hopefully, I'll, I'll be doing my girls, training my girls for basketball. And um, you can always find me on Twitter, Black Jordan Breen. And uh, I do, I cover all mixed martial arts. But people seem to, to really like my analysis of women's mixed martial arts. So um, I've gone to referring to myself as the go-to for women's women's MMA. So if you want to talk about women's MMA in general, women's MMA, subscribe to the to the website. Um, hit me on Twitter for questions on the show or just ask me directly, and I will answer any and all questions that are posed to me. And once again, I want to thank you guys for giving me a platform and a forum to get my start in writing and to get my start in podcasting for podcasting at all and for mixed martial arts specifically of course man of course it's always great i also gotta talk to you because i got i got a fight coming up and i I need some um scouting work but we'll talk about that offline um so for me i am as always you know you'll find my work here it's been almost almost 10 years since i've been writing for mma ratings i think it's uh i think we're coming seems like it was just yesterday man Oh goodness! It's, it'll, I think I'm coming up on year number nine next year. So yeah, like like that's that's one thing there for sure. Um, I actually just started covering pro wrestling as well. I don't know what the hell I'm doing or what made me decide to do that, but I'm covering pro wrestling for um, a website as well. We're thinking about getting a podcast starting there. So you'll always find my, you'll find, you'll eventually find my work there. As always, um, you can catch me on Bloody Elbow talking about the world of grappling. 2018 is going to be a pretty interesting year. A lot of stuff's going on there. Um, and I still covered uh, the the 
heart attack giving Carolina Panthers. And I'm, I'm not sure when I'm going to stop doing that to myself, but at some point in time I will, but I'm still covering them as well. So as always, you know, thank you everyone who's taken the time to listen to a show this year, click on one of our pieces. You'll see us across uh, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere you see us. Uh, I definitely appreciate everyone who's taken the time to read any of our work. Um, check out the website at mmaratings.net. Listen to mmaratings.com. And, oh, yes, th there too as well. Um, just anyone who's taking the time to listen to our stuff because it, it definitely is a um, it, it's a big deal to know that people stop and read what you do on a, on a, on a daily basis. So, again, thank you all for coming and being a part of, of the show. Um, hopefully, we'll all be back together at the end of next year. And as always, if you ever want to hop on an edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast, just let me and Shawan know and we will get you on. Great. So again, thank you everybody, and um, it's closing out the show. We appreciate you guys spending the last two hours with us, and have a great um, have a great evening, have a great weekend, and a happy new year. Be safe. Uh, if you're out there celebrating and partying, if you're drinking, no, no drinking and driving, Uber or Lyft, it's going to be expensive as hell, but at least you'll be alive. So yeah, we thank you for everyone who's, who took the time to take us out, and we'll see you all next year. Have a great happy holidays, folks. See you guys, Bye. 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 Bye.